Hi, Poison Pals. Welcome back to another episode of That Shit is Poison, hosted by myself, Harini Bot, And co-hosted by myself, Megan Gesner. This is typically your true crime and toxicology fix of the week, but we're doing something a little bit different. We have a very special guest on the pod with us today, Matt Kandeas. You may know him from his own podcast called In Defense of Plants, where he dives deep into the world of botany with each episode. I personally found out about Matt through his collabs with This Podcast Will Kill You, bringing his expertise on plants once again. So today he will be doing something similar with us. As you guys know, Megan and I have been wanting to explore more natural toxins. So we thought what better way to do that than with Matt. So without further ado, Matt, will you please introduce yourself? Well, first off, let me say thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Matt Kandeas. I run In Defense of Plants, which is largely a podcast these days, but also a blog when I have the time to do it. Uh, I recently became an author with my first book, In Defense of yes. Plants, and Exploration into the Wonder of Plants. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, Amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm just really into plants. If you couldn't have guessed at this point, I, I spend a lot of time studying them. I spend a lot of time in my free time looking for them and just trying to do everything I can to spread that love with the world. Love it. Love it. I was just going to say, I actually have downloaded In Defense of Plants, an exploration mm -hmm. into the world of plants. <laughs> and I've just gotten a little bit into it, but I love how you're just straight up like, listen, I'm going to talk about plants in a way that is exciting and not dull. And I'm like, I'm all about this, Matt. Thank you for uh, like making this easy for me <laughs> to digest. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that came through. Yeah, I do not have a green thumb whatsoever. So I think I need to listen to this book as well and hopefully gain some insights and tips. Right on. Yeah, I mean, it's all I'll take it in strides. <laughs> yes. So how long did it take you to write? I think like start to finish about four and a half, five months. You know, I had a lot of ideas already, a lot of structure kind of in place just because I knew this was something I wanted to do eventually. So, you know, when my publisher approached me and asked if I had any ideas, I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so right. it just was a matter of getting up every day and then doing it. Yeah. That is so, so cool. And today, I think, I don't know, I haven't read the book yet, but I don't know if you talk about what we're going to be talking about today. Nope, this will no, be a first okay. for me. This will be new. This will be absolutely new. So we're so excited. Mm -hmm. Without further ado, this is what we have our guests do. We have them pick their poison. Mm -hmm. So Matt, it is time for you to pick your poison. So what's it going to be today? My poison is abrin, which comes from a species of pea or a species in the pea family, I should say, called the rosary pea, Abris precatorius. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Yes. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Awesome. So, Abris precatorius, the rosary pea, there's other names that I just can't pronounce, so I'm not going to embarrass myself for doing it. Um, as I mentioned, it's in the pea family, Fabaceae, <laughs> so it's related to a lot of things that are edible, although this is one you definitely don't want to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's native throughout tropical to subtropical areas of Asia, down into Australia, and unfortunately, because of its widespread use as sort of a decoration and, and sort of a mm -hmm. celebration culturally important plant it's been spread around the world and is now extremely mm -hmm. weedy in a lot of tropical regions in fact some say it's it's pan tropical at this point which means it's just grown mm. everywhere it's introduced wow. 
in places like Florida, for instance, you know, here in North America, it is considered severely invasive, mm. so much so that I don't know if we'll ever be able to control it. Mm. <laughs> it's actually, it's a shame because yeah. it is a very beautiful plant. It's it what is. they call it. It's perennial, so it comes back every year. Uh, it's what mm. they call a slender woody climber. Uh, which I love that. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just kind of nice and feathery and it can go up and climb over surrounding vegetation. It's very good at what it does. It does get kind of woody, but... That's not to say that like it's permanent in terms of that above ground structure, like a tree. You could chop this thing back. You could burn it to the ground. And it's got such a deep and large storage root, a tap root, that it it readily grows back, which is making, you know, habitat restoration and conservation kind of difficult in areas where it's invaded because pretty much everything people try to do to control it, it's like, nah, I'm coming back. It probably (laughs) works. Right. Oh, God. So probably the the most obvious feature of this plant to most people will be its seeds. In fact, if you've ever Mm -hmm. been to, you know, a novelty store or a jewelry store or name it anywhere that sells like natural jewelry of any sort, Mm -hmm. you'll probably have seen this. It it produces these beautiful seeds that are largely red capped in black. Mm -hmm. And that has where it gets the name rosary pea because these are collected and strung together on strings. You you, you both might go into that at some point here, but... uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what really attracts people and that's what allows it to spread. I do know humans have eaten this plant for some time and used it medicinally. Mm-hmm. It's usually the other parts of the plant that are, I don't think, nearly as toxic. Yeah, right. I, it seems to be mostly the seeds. And that's what's really interesting. Now, I don't want to steal any thunder and stop me if I do. Yeah. Uh, but the toxic chemical, as I mentioned, is abrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually related. It's in the same class of chemicals as ricin. So yep. ricinus comes from the castor bean plant, different family. <laughs> and what it does is it enters the cells and deactivates protein synthesis, mm-hmm. which is not good for no, animals. No. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's extremely effective in small doses. But the caveat here is that the seed needs to be damaged. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. putting it on your skin or something like that generally, or touching it, I should say, isn't going to right. hurt you. It's mm-hmm. The act of damaging it. And, you know, obviously this plant has been around a lot longer than humans have been using it at least. And the question becomes, why are your seeds so toxic? (laughs) And and really, it comes down to the fact that, I mean, that's what gets plants into the next generation. Mm -hmm. That's their offspring. Mm -hmm. And plants will do what they can to protect them. And it's actually not uncommon for the bean family or the pea family in general to actually have a lot of members that have really, really Mm -hmm. toxic seeds. It's actually alarming how many of them can be really bad for you. In fact, I now I'm going out of, you know, my comfort zone here with this, but no, uh, lima beans are apparently have a lot of cyanide in them until you oh. boil them down. Yeah, so I, I didn't know that. Yeah, not I don't know too many people eating raw lima beans, but Interesting. This is yeah. also kind of off topic, but since you are the plant expert, we also did a past episode where the cassava plant has a lot of cyanide in it too. Are you aware of that? Mm, no. Actually, I shouldn't say no. I'm aware of it. And I know there's like a very involved method of of kind of Mm -hmm. treating it to get it to where it doesn't. But uh, no, I didn't. I don't know the depth of how far that goes. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I did not know about the lima bean. So that changes changes things for me (laughs) moving forward. Matt, you brought up something that like I was thinking about when I was doing my research on the rosary pea. And it was just this this very basic thought of like, we recognize as humans that there is an element to this plant that is highly toxic, more toxic than ricin, right? And we still use the plant because we recognize not all of it's toxic. Like we can still <laughs> use some parts of it because you brought up like apparently a, a whole bunch of bean species have toxins. And I'm just like, what is it with humans 
we're like, even though it's poisonous, <laughs> we can work around that. Right. Like, we can work with <laughs> we'll you. We'll find a way. It's very weird. So yeah, that's it all is. I have to say. <laughs> no, that's a, a wonderful observation. And I think something that, I, you know, I kind of hear mirrored in a lot of people is just say, like hats off to all of the, the early peoples that took a test <laughs> and, and figured it out through trial and <laughs> yes. often fatal errors <laughs> to yep. get to a point. Yeah. But, you know, it's we have a lot of distractions in our modern lives and uh, mm-hmm. we we don't recognize and, and need things as desperately. At least a lot of us uh, don't have the, the desperation of hunger and feeding families and stuff mm-hmm. from nature. Mm-hmm. And I would assume, and again, I'm speaking way out of my, my realm here, mm-hmm. but I would assume that, you know, time plus desperation plus mm. experimentation, you know, eventually someone somewhere is going to figure it out. Uh, and right. if it can be done, you know, I was just talking to, she goes by the name Vera Bluebell on my podcast. And mm-hmm. a lot of it too is it's just overhype. Sometimes a small amount yeah. can be okay. Not not in the case of Aberin. <laughs> <laughs> but like I've always heard Bracken Fern, for instance, will ca- give mm. you cancer and cause you to go blind if you eat it. And she goes, right. yeah, sort of, I guess, but it's really <laughs> unstable. And if you treat it, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, true. you know, yeah. I leave it up to uh, the peoples that regularly use this to figure that out. I'm personally right. not going to <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> they can experiment. They're the more optimistic side of like, sure, you're like, yeah. yeah, we accept you for what you are, plants. And we know you're not dangerous <laughs> if we just handle you a certain way. So, right. Right. anyways. Mm-hmm. My, right. One question before you continue, yeah. Matt. So you mentioned the casserole plant. Mm-hmm. So is there anything from the botany side of things? Is there any similarities in like their structure mm-hmm. or how they grow or where they grow? That would make their mechanism so similar. Ah, great question. I, you know, they're both from warmer climates, so that definitely helps. And there's mm-hmm. definitely a, a latitudinal okay. trend to, you know, spices at the very least. But oftentimes, spices are yeah. defense compounds mm-hmm. that we again make use out of. Um, <laughs> right. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, mm-hmm. as you go more towards the tropics, the amount of spices, the intensity and variety of them increase. So, you know, it could just be that there's okay. a lot more opportunities for evolution. There's a lot of uh, diversity, you know, so just mm. uh, the law of large numbers. Um, but also, you know, mm. as you go closer to the equator, bacteria and fungi thrive. A lot of pathogens thrive. Yes. So, you know, mm. there's probably a lot of reasons that plants will evolve pretty intense compounds. And you know, unfortunately, Definitely. some of them wreck us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't even think about it that way. How did the rosary pea end up in Florida? Or do you know that timeline mm. of like, was it brought by people? Is it like, what's the process for animals to, you know, disperse seeds and things like that? So, but I'm curious about Florida in particular, because I know that came up when I was reading up on it. That, that was like the highlighted state, <laughs> like Florida is the place. Um, so what do you know about that? Like, how did it get there? And how did it just become so invasive? Good question. And yeah, Florida, unfortunately, is a poster child for invasion. Um, But, you know, just great climate. Lots of uh, people. It it was definitely brought by people. Mm. I believe it was likely brought because of its beauty and trying, you know, I don't know if it was intentional, accidental, uh, escapee, um, but I'm I'm sure someone was growing it. You know, there is a market for these seeds and jewelry and other uses. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure it was one of those things that was like, hey, let's let's grow this here and cut out, you know, the distance. And boy, it took off. Yeah. (laughs) Tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah. It's not restricted to Florida, that's for sure. Okay. It's just, you know, there is a really active botany and especially like restoration community in Florida because Florida yeah, just I gets bet. so uh, much human, <laughs> human right. disturbance that, you know, the fingers yeah. on the pulse, so to speak, of invasive plants down that's there good. in a big way. That's good to know. <laughs> but, you know, 
as we mentioned, these are very beautiful seeds, that bright Mm -hmm. red and black coloration. And, you know, when I think of brightly colored fruits, I go instantly to dispersal mechanisms. You know, some animal, usually when it comes to bright colors, mammal or bird, sees these things, goes, Mm -hmm. that looks delicious, eats it. You know, maybe gets something out of it like a pulp, but then goes and poops it out. Mm -hmm. And that's how more plants are made. But it just had me kind of scratching my head like, why would the seed Mm -hmm. be so toxic? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's not like, you know, when you eat a pea pod, like snap peas, Mm -hmm. you're eating the whole pod, seeds and all. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what's going on with Abris, when the seeds are ready, when they're mature, the pod is just this like dry husk Mm -hmm. that dihisses, Mm -hmm. it opens up and reveals these really brightly colored seeds. So, and the seeds are hard, you know, again, if you break into them, you're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's across the board for mm-hmm. mammals and birds. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, anything smaller than us would be any less effect. Although that's not to say there's probably some coevolutionary uh, resistance mm-hmm. among some of them. I wasn't Very able cool. to find anything about that. Yeah, neither was I. Yeah. But, but, mm-hmm. but, but I did come across a really interesting paper by a researcher named Mary Elizabeth Hill, and it's called The Effect of Aposmatic Coloration on the Food Preferences mm-hmm. of the Florida Scrub Jay. And mm-hmm. it was published back in 20. 20- 2006 and of course back in Florida here Yeah. Uh, but here's a bird that readily eats seeds in fact it collects mm-hmm. a lot of seeds jays are well known for caching them and that's a really effective seed dispersal strategy but mm-hmm. when you think about bright especially bright colors contrasted against black what do you think about I think poison. <laughs> yeah. um, venomous, venomous, yes. Yeah. So, you know, just like we yeah. learned to avoid wasps or bees or a coral snake, you mm. know, uh, red on yellow, kill a fellow, that kind of thing. Right. They hypothesized mm. that this actually could be a form of aposmatic uh, warning signals, mm. although... You know, that generally comes with a learning curve, like uh, a bird eats a brightly colored mm-hmm. wasp or uh, even a monarch butterfly, and mm-hmm. it doesn't kill it. It's just a very unpleasant experience. Whereas, you know, right. a bird goes and eats this, it's mm. there's going to be no learning curve because the bird died. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's not like, mm-hmm. not like they're mm-hmm. like, oh, our buddy died. Let's mm-hmm. avoid that. It's not really yeah. how it works. But... Mm-hmm. It could just be something to the effect, and that's what Dr. Hill goes into here, is that, you know, there are birds that have gizzards, which really actively grind things up, and then other Mm -hmm. birds where they have crops and they store seeds and are far more likely to kind of cache them. And so what it could be is a deterrent or just a really final deterrent against birds that have these gizzards that would grind up the seed, damage it, and release the abrin. Done. There's also plenty of seeds Mm. in there, so if it happens quick, it could, you know... That's yet to be seen. But what they were mm-hmm. even able to show with the jays, which have the crop probably a little bit less likely, is that the the jays do kind of actively avoid those seeds if given mm-hmm. a choice, which is interesting. That is interesting. But that's not to say birds are not involved in, in distributing this plant, because actually that's what mm-hmm. I found is that one of the main reasons mm-hmm. it does spread is there are a lot of birds that can transfer the seeds and, and it will pass through that. These are very hard seeds. So if they yeah. pass through the gut... They're not going to be harmed by the digestive juices per se, and they can escape out the other end unscathed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) both Mm -hmm. both sides, the bird and the seed. So (laughs) they are involved, but it it does bring up this idea that these actually could be mimicking like either less less toxic aposmatic system, where you know maybe there is room for a learning curve, or Mm -hmm. simply that it's just deterring things like rodents, Mm -hmm. you know, mammals that will actively chew on a seed and not readily cache it or or do something Mm -hmm. like that. There's definitely way more room for investigation on this, but I think she really set out a really cool study Mm. there. 
Yeah. You know, and it really does show that like she worked, I think one of the methods said that she worked with birds that had never encountered this before. And that that was kind of an innate response, Mm -hmm. which is kind of maybe it's just like a generalist, which is kind of cool in like a bigger evolutionary context there that there just might be an innate response to aposmatic coloration Mm -hmm. patterns and that some organisms through evolution just stumble upon that and it's effective. So kind of curious. That is curious because the first thought that goes through my mind with that is I was always under the impression that plants, especially seed producing plants, want their seeds to be spread. Like they kind of want to be taken in and then, you know, spread all over the place. So this is curious to me that it's so toxic Mm -hmm. because it's, first of all, it has a really hard outer shell. So that's already one defense barrier, like another Mm -hmm. barrier to eating it from an animal's perspective. Mm. And then once you eat it, you do all the reward to break open the shell and then it's toxic. So it's kind of like there's, there's, it's a lose, lose situation. So how is that evolutionary? Does that, how does that evolutionarily make sense on the plant side of things to still want to be spread around uh, and survive? Yeah. I was just going to say, and like what co-evolution is happening with the mm-hmm. animals of that region for example maybe that scrub jay yeah florida bird scrub jay what's happening way down the line in history where there's the plant saying i'm toxic i have this three mechanism security system to prevent my spread potentially but maybe you <laughs> birds are cool so maybe you guys will evolve with us i don't know that was just my thought yeah, it's it's you bring up great points and it is this plant did offer quite the conundrum <laughs> to uh you know trying to balance this idea of like protecting one's fruit but also managing to get them out into the environment and to mm. be fair I don't I mean the the range of the species overlaps with a wide mm-hmm. variety of faunal associates mm-hmm. and I'm guessing birds are involved uh, in a big way on on you know throughout Asia and down into mm-hmm. Australia the question then becomes sort of like behavior, you know what I mean? Like, so rodents, like I said, are really good at crushing and destroying mm-hmm. seeds. Um, sometimes they'll cache them and that's the, you know, the ones they forget mm-hmm. are the ones that germinate. Same goes for a lot mm-hmm. of different birds. So I'm guessing, guessing, <laughs> yeah. this is purely a guess, that somewhere along the lines, somewhere within its its natural range, there are organisms that, you know, are able to eat this, move it through their gut. And, and it could just be that, you know, it's just happenstance, like, it's brightly colored. They mm-hmm. see it. They go, ooh, that's food, and then swallow it, and you know, it just doesn't yeah. get digested. Mm-hmm. So it could just be that there's a lot of other brightly colored fruits, and they're just mm-hmm. eating a bunch of them, and every once in a while, one gets yeah, through. That's true. But that's all it takes. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. you got to think, yeah. too, for a perennial plant that can live decades. If it's producing tons and tons of seeds, it just got needs it. one to make it. And then it's it's got a new generation. So, I mean, these are again, yeah. highly speculative. <laughs> that's And that's another good point is just how little we actually know about this <laughs> stuff, um, you know, until someone's on yeah. the ground doing it, <laughs> you know. And, and again, studying things in the invasive range, it, it's mm. telling. It's really interesting, but not necessarily going to reflect yeah. reality. Got it. I was going to say. Let's all go take a trip to Florida and just spend a week watching these birds. <laughs> I'd be so curious. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's snowing here anyway. right now. So I am all down. Oh. Right the <laughs> for science. We're doing it for yes, science. For science. Exactly. Not because we're trying to escape cold weather. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's also another good point to bring up. And, and, you know, like I said, with any sort of toxin, there's something somewhere along the line I can imagine that might be able to circumvent it and who knows what kind of 
organisms might have uh, a protein or some sort. I, again, this is mm. way out of my realm of yeah, expertise, yeah. but that could actually negate the effects or sure. deneutralize the toxin or something like that. But there is some evidence that abrin, again, that the active chemical in the seed might have some antipathogen properties to it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, most seeds and seedlings are lost to fungus or bacterial yeah. infections. I mean, that is such a bottleneck for plants. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a good indication that there might even be some antimicrobial, antifungal effects to abrin as well. So yeah. it could have a lot. And that's one thing that I always find out when I go looking for these like smoking gun. Hey, this is the exact reason why it's like, <laughs> nah, it's multifaceted. Yeah. There's tons mm-hmm. of different pathways for things to work. And a lot of plant chemicals especially have multiple effects. I mean, we're living proof of that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like willows evolved salicylic acid to cure our headaches. It just so happens to do that so which is so cool by the way (laughs) i know right it's it's such a fascinating world it's so awesome Mm -hmm. i don't know if matt you were going to cover this or harini you're going to cover this but when it comes to the aberrant aspect is it only in the seed or is it throughout the whole plant structure Mm. as far as i can tell Oh, if you're going to cover it? Yeah, I'll cover it in the toxic okay. section. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I was going to say, I was Thank just going to speculate. So I was, at that point, I'll just yeah. say, I don't know and leave it to you. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> to be determined right, cool, later cool. on. Yes. <laughs> but that's about the rundown of what we know on this okay. plant. I mean, at least from the, the botanical and ecological side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's other things, and I apologize if I missed anyone's work or information mm-hmm. on this subject. But, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. most of what is available in English is about how invasive it can be. And of course, the cultural uses of this plant, which is cool, found a lot of really interesting stuff. But it it really got me because, you know, this is, again, something I've seen a lot growing up. I kind of knew about it. So when you approached me, I was like, "Ooh, Mm. I get to actually like Mm. spend time and have a reason to learn about this plant. So it was it was neat to kind of dive in. It's a beautiful plant again. I would hesitate to grow it, especially if you live in a tropical area, because I wouldn't want to contribute to its invasiveness. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. look up pictures. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. Do it right now, Poison Pals, just as long <laughs> as you're not driving. We'll give you a pause right now. <laughs> but on that note, is it labeled as invasive spe- species in other parts of the world? And are they actively mm. trying to get rid of those plants or do they still consider it you know, very culturally important? I don't know. I would assume it's probably a mixed bag, uh, at least, you know, where it doesn't have a huge market or is actually really starting to impede on natural landscapes. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it could potentially affect other farming practices. So it's not just the ecological side of things. So like places like Florida, yeah, it is considered Mm -hmm. like a noxious weed or an invasive species. But um, yeah, I'm not sure about most other places. I mean, I don't know what the rules are in a lot of other countries. And I'd assume it's you know, hit or miss, depending on, you know, again, the use, how much value and economic value it's bringing and, mm-hmm. and you know, what kind of damaging effects it's having on ecosystems. Completely. What is its, what's its naturally occurring? Like, where does it originally come from? Is it mostly like South Asia or the African diaspora or... I believe so. Yeah. So Southern Asia uh, and then down through um, like the mission, like the Wallace Lion and stuff down followed Mm -hmm. into like Northern Australia. And I don't know how far it goes into Mm -hmm. Australia. I believe it probably just sticks to sort of the tropical areas of like the Northern coast. Sure. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into the toxicology of Abrin in the rosary pea. Like Matt told us, it's this really beautiful plant, the shiny scarlet red seeds with this black eye. 
Abris purgatorius is considered to be the most poisonous plant in the world after the castor oil plant, <laughs> which I actually wanted to ask you, what is the formal, do you know the formal name of the castor oil plant? Not to put you on the spot. Uh, sorry, Ricinus communis. communis. Okay, yes, there we got go. It. I am not, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't worry, don't worry. That was me putting you on the spot real quick. Quite all right. So yeah, it is the most poisonous plant after the castor oil plant, which contains ricin, as we talked about. So the entire plant is toxic, but the seed is going to be the real kicker here. Like I said, the entire plant contains this toxic protein called tox- toxalbumin, known as abrin, which is highly toxic to humans. But of course, we love our pets on this podcast. So I was curious, you know, if your dog or your cat happened to eat these seeds, what would happen to them? It's deadly to us humans, but presents as problematic for most pets. Hmm. And that's the wording that they used. They won't die, but they might get a stomach upset, etc. So, just so you guys know. Huh. Wow. Abrin toxin. Yeah. That's yeah. So interesting. <laughs> I'm like, but why? I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I mean, there's why? some indication that there could be involved in dispersal. So, maybe there are plenty of animals that That's don't true. get necessarily that sick yeah. from it. Humans are not meant yeah. to disperse these seeds, apparently. It's just animals. Yeah. <laughs> Although, we seem to be the best at <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we seem to be the ones that really want to do it. <laughs> Abrin toxin works essentially the same way as a ricin toxin. I won't go into crazy detail in terms of the mechanism since Megan already went over the mechanism in episode 19, but a refresher for our new listeners, the abrin toxin exists as a dimer, meaning it consists of two different protein subunits, so subunit A and subunit B. Mm-hmm. And these two subunits have different functions. So the B chain, think of it as a VIP ticket holder that allows itself entry into your cells by binding to certain transport proteins on the cell surface. Once subunit B binds to these surface proteins, the entire dimer, so A and B, gets transported into your cell. Once inside the cell, subunit A breaks into action. The chain A stops protein synthesis by binding and inactivating to one of your ribosome subunits. And just to give you guys some perspective, Mm -hmm. just one molecule of abrin will inactivate up to 1,500 ribosomes per second. That is quite destructive. What? (laughs) Oh, my Atlanta. That's wild. Hence it being one of the most poisonous plants in the world. (laughs) Extremely effective. Extremely mm-hmm. effective, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Abrin messes with mm-hmm. your ribosome inactivating proteins, which we laughed about in a, a previous episode because it spells R-I-P or RIP. <laughs> and that can... Oh, no. Kind of a perfect name for it. <laughs> so that can lead to genetic mutations in the long term and eventually cancer. It is messing with your protein subunits, which is your building blocks to your genes and everything else, pretty much your entire genetic makeup. So that can lead to cancer But if you ingest enough of it and don't get adequate medical attention in time, you will most definitely die from the short-term GI side effects first before you would ever die of cancer Mm. due to a genetic mutation. Uh. Mm -hmm. One thing I did find interesting was that the abrin toxin has a more potent affinity for this RIP mechanism, more so than ricin, but ricin is still considered to be more toxic. Hmm. In fact... Abrin is more toxic by almost two orders of magnitude, but a fatal dose of Abrin is 175th that of a fatal dose of ricin. Dang. (laughs) Yeah. So 
that kind of sounds contradictory, but there is a method to the madness. They believe the aberrin toxin is released more slowly than ricin mm. due to slow absorption. Okay. So in other words, when you eat the seed, you first need to penetrate that hard outer mm. shell. Then you have to break open the seed through chewing, mastication mm. to actually release this toxin. So all of that does take some time a lot more time than it takes ricin. Mm. So the whole idea there is that with slower absorption, you may have more time for a rescue effort. Mm. So if you took away that element, though, Mm -hmm. like if you're doing in our ricin episode, we covered the guy was shot in the leg with like a small little pebble that had ricin in it and it just diffused into his system really quickly. So if you like took away, just compared ricin and aberrin in, I don't know, a powder form, Mm -hmm. would that... Would that change the... I think so. It has to be because basically from the studies I was looking at, aberrant is definitely way, way more toxic, but it's because of these, Mm -hmm. you know, security systems, for lack of a better phrase, that it has innate Mm -hmm. to the seed. That's why it's less Mm -hmm. toxic if you were to ingest it. But if it's just the pure form, I can't see why not, why it wouldn't be more toxic. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. So... What happens if you were to ingest it? So symptoms typically begin within a few hours after eating the beans, but it can also be delayed up to five days. (laughs) I know, I know. It's not very helpful. It's very big. (laughs) And the thing I always like to think about when researching these poisons is how much does it take? You know, how many of these do I have to eat for me to die? (laughs) So there's actually limited data to understand how many of the rosary peas you actually have to ingest for it to have these toxic side effects and ultimately Mm. lead to death. But the going notion is it doesn't Mm. take very much, like Matt had said. Like, it could be one, it could be two. And the issue with that is all of our bodies are so different. It really just depends on our, you know, Mm. our makeup and are we a bigger person, a taller person, shorter person. So it really just depends. But... Typical symptoms are nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. You get severe abdominal pain that progressively worsens. And this is typically how people die because it leads to severe dehydration. When you are just vomiting and having diarrhea constantly, you can't stop it. You're losing all your water. You're losing all your electrolytes and your body just cannot recuperate in time unless you have medical Mm. attention to provide that supportive care that you need. Is that the most common way for people to be exposed to aberrin, just like improper ingestion of the plant? Yes. Like I said, as humans, we see something that looks, we want to put it in our mouth and that's just how it's done. <laughs> that's just how it's done. Whoops. So. I'm trying to think like what's worse, like if it's going to, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to yes. go, like yes. if this is the way I'm going out, diarrhea to death or all of the downstream side effects like could i get over the diarrhea mm-hmm. and then it's just way worse like you should have just let the dehydration take oh, you God. exactly exactly <laughs> this is a quick this is a quick side note but it's so funny that you say that because when i was working at the poison control center on one of my clinical rotations one of the tox fellows asked that to the other tox fellow they were like oh if you had to choose a way to die like what would you take or how would you do it <laughs> like this is the most morbid <laughs> conversation but, you know, yeah. there's always a way. That's your dinner party question, I guess. Right. There you go. So poison poison pals right here, right now. Would you rather die of dehydration oh, due to extreme diarrhea or die of potentially just getting severe cancer if you just mm. waited the diarrhea Mm-mm. out? So yeah, that's your would you rather. Going with the diarrhea. Tweet us, email us. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm going to take my chance with the diarrhea, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. I can't wait that long. Uh, Ugh. Because my my thought is you're probably going to have diarrhea up until you have the cancer. And I don't want both. Mm, so, yeah. 
Mm, that's a that's that's some good insight. Pick your poison there. All right. Okay. So those are the symptoms. You can also, if you progress, you can have increased heart rate, headaches, hallucinations, seizures, fever, and organ failure. The scary thing about this is there is no antidote for aberrant poisoning because hopefully you don't eat this or ingest this. But mm. hospitalization and supportive care, like I said, will often reverse any potentially fatal circumstances if you catch it in time, which typically most situations you're able to. That's good. Mm. So to wrap up a little bit on the talk section, Matt, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but it's not all bad. It's not just all poisonous. It's actually used for a wide variety of medicinal purposes. But I definitely would not recommend trying this at home, people in Florida. <laughs> it traditionally has been used to treat scratches, sores, and wounds. It was used to cure tuberculosis, surprisingly, mm. bronchitis, and whooping cough. I saw a lot of lung diseases. So the TB, bronchitis, whooping cough, asthma was used for this. I didn't get a lot of didn't get a lot of good information in terms of mechanistically why that would help. Uh, but I'd be curious to know why that is. The leaves of the plant are made into a tea in Tanzania to treat epilepsy. In African and Indian tribes, the seeds are powdered down and used as an oral contraceptive, which I thought was very interesting. Hmm. I don't know how that works. And it's actually quite popular in ancient medicine used in South Mm -hmm. India, where I'm from, actually, and used in the medicine there. And they use it to treat all of the above, what I already said, in addition to colds and swelling, and also to promote hair growth and Ayurvedic mm. medicine. Mm. Yeah. The Indian tribes would boil the seeds in milk, then dry them. And this would denature the proteins with the high temperatures, and that would uh. allow them to safely remove the toxin and use it for whatever purposes. And it still contained those medicinal properties after that. So I imagine that's how most people would handle it if they wanted to actually use it. Yeah. And that's that's my section. That's what yeah. I got for you guys. So real quick. So I understand yeah. what it means when, you know, the literature says there's no antidote for it. And I think yeah. when literature usually says that, it means there's no tangible antidote for preventing aberrin to cause cancer, essentially, to, to go into yes. that protein synthesis in, inhibitor situation. Mm-hmm. But I did come across something from the IUR Times, A-Y-U-R, I don't mm-hmm. know what that means, but it's just a, it's something that um, I came across that also kind of listed everything you just talked about in terms of like how okay. it's used medicinally. They did list another plant as a kind of antidote. The language goes like this: the mm-hmm. amaranth leaf, which Matt, I don't know if you know anything about the amaranth leaf. A M A R A N T H. Does that if that mm-hmm. rings a bell to you? Yeah, it's a whole family. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. So they're like, the the amaranth leaf juice, along with sugar, is the best antidote for rosary pea poisoning. Oh. But they say it in a huh. way, it immediately reduces toxic effects, which to me translate to it reduces symptoms and not actually mm-hmm. like the poisoning. Correct. So that was one thing that did come up. They're like, oh. 10 milliliters of amaranth leaf juice with five grams of sugar should be used two to three times daily. And that just kind of sounds wow. like more like natural medicines you know um so i I just thought i'd share that that's really interesting and like you mentioned milk and the boiling i Mm -hmm. mean i see where that would denature i wonder if there's any element of like something in the amaranth like a saponin Mm -hmm. or something amaranth uh that that like would potentially denature something but like you said it could just be more the symptoms than the actual poison itself yeah i kind of like the idea of combating one plant poison with another plant i like that it's fun (laughs) 
plants are full of chemical warfare. Yes, they are. Is the amaranth family found in the same zones or like tropical zones as the rosary pea? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amaranthaceae is like all over the globe. I mean, like everything from quinoa down to certain types of spinach. Oh, wow. I mean, it is... It is a very widespread and useful family, but it, it comes in many shapes, sizes. Oh, and okay. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Habitats. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Oh, well, cool. yeah, I guess we can go into my section, yeah. which is just kind of like culturally, how is it used uh, besides mm-hmm. like the medicinal purposes that we just heard about? And Matt, we can actually tag team on this because uh, you did mention cool. you came across some cool stuff. Um, so I'll share what I researched and learned. And then if you have anything you want to like provide extra, please do. So as mentioned before, it's called the rosary pea for that reason. Like it is used, those seeds are used as rosary beads or jewelry mm-hmm. or, um, you know, necklaces or bracelets. And depending on the culture, those necklaces and bracelets can represent different things. A lot of what I read was mostly based in like South Asian explicitly Indian culture, recognizing that there's multiple cultures within India. So Haridi, I might need your expertise there (laughs) in differentiating some things. One thing that I thought was fun before we get into like the jewelry and spiritual aspects of it, Mm -hmm. the beads are used in like percussive instruments sometimes. So I looked up, I was like, rosary peas in music, in instruments. And one funny story popped up from actually the New Zealand Ministry of Industries. And it's a report from this official government site. And apparently couple had just come back from Cuba. Oh no. And they had bought souvenir maracas, but uh, they were stopped at the airport because when they x-rayed the machine, they saw like there were beads there and when it was open they were rosary peas. Mm. And so New Zealand was like, we don't want these fucking invasive <laughs> peas <laughs> up on our island like hell no. So that was just something that was funny oh, to me. So like I guess they're sometimes wow. in maracas Anything that's like you can rattle and shake. Hmm. Hmm. Honestly, good on their TSA people. I yeah. would yeah. think to see beads and be like, I need to check what those are. So that's yeah, good. actually, the report was really kind to the couple because mm-hmm. they they actually declared it into like when they're when they're returning mm. to New Zealand, they declared it and they were like, thank. They declared it specifically to the biosecurity team. So they're oh, okay. like, thank you for huh. being responsible and like, doing your due diligence. Yeah. Like, that's kind of cool. What it must be like to be a New Zealander. <laughs> yeah. You know? So the main thing that you will see when you look up like cultural significance of rosary peas is the spiritual aspect of them. Thinking about it, because I identify as Muslim and we do use beads when we pray sometimes. In my head, I'm like, I feel like I've seen that red bead with the black cap mm. in my house somewhere. And I'm like, do I have rosary pea in my house? Yeah. Anyway, so I'll have to do that research later. Yeah. But um, that's one That's one aspect. I found like a whole list. The source I got this all this information from is basically like a shopping site for mm. like spiritual well-being elements and like powders and like mm-hmm. spices and stuff. Anyway, so they, they had this whole list of what you can use rosary peas for. Hmm. So I'm just going to read some of the ones that I thought were super fun, which I don't mean that. I don't mean that insensitively. I recognize that this is legitimate spiritual use, but fun to share. Depending on the color, there's like a combo you can do. You can do, they call it gunja, gunja, Mm -hmm. G-U-N-J-A. That's the Hindi word for it, I believe. Okay. But here's one. If you have five fresh pieces of red gunja 
and five fresh pieces of black gunja. You can place them in your wallet or your purse to protect yourself from evil eye or black magic. Mm. So you see a lot of that, but that was like very specific in terms of yes. this is the number you need and these are the <laughs> okay. colors you need. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Another one. This one, they were like, okay, 20, 21 fresh pieces of black gunja washed with cow's milk, as Harini had mentioned, mm. washed with cow's milk and holy water, then wrapped in a fresh red cotton cloth, can be tied around the neck, wrist, or ankle of a newborn to keep mm. that child away from evil spirits. So again, going oh back goodness. to protection from evil eye, black magic. Got it. The next one is a little more about like relationship <laughs> partners, <laughs> romance, but they're like, take five pieces of the red rosary pea, cover it in honey and put it in one of those lamps. I think it's called a dia. It's like mm-hmm. the the little, small little lamp where you can put like a yeah. candle or something in it. And you have to moan your partner's name to bring love oh, and care into that relationship. So I was like, okay, that's, that's fun. <laughs> interesting, then- interesting. The final one that I have here is they sometimes when I guess, depending on the area in India or like who follows these practices, sometimes when there's a new construction or like a new building being built Mm. up, they'll actually put some rosary peas into the foundation to ensure almost like a feng shui to make sure that the people, the Mm. residences who eventually live there live happy and healthy Mm. and aren't you know followed by it's it's called vastu dosh i'm trying to learn more a little bit more about these uh, no i have no idea what that means what i understand about vastu dosh to me the only way i can describe it it's like this concept of feng shui like vastu dosh is when Uh the the energy of a living space or something is just off so then you don't feel good yeah yeah so that was another one and that Hmm. is what I could find. Yeah. That was the more explicit examples of like spiritual Got practices it. using rosary peas. Right. Doing my very, very basic research, I did see a lot of language about before the beads are even handled or like sold, they are detoxified. Like oh, whatever that process is. That makes sense. That even the cow's milk yeah. process, like that's the, at least in India, that's a practice of detoxifying them. So I, mm-hmm. I imagine that we are smart enough to detoxify it before we put it on our body. So yeah. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully. Reiterating what I said at the beginning, like what is it about humans where we want to be around poisonous things? Because that concept of, I knew how poisonous ricin was, but then finding out that there's abrin, which is way more (laughs) poisonous, it is hard to separate this. You know, you said people have it in their houses, like you've seen it in their homes Mm -hmm. and things like that. And from the talk side and just doing so many episodes where I'm like, I don't fuck with poisons. No, no, like don't fuck with poisons. Just like there's no, no matter how much you might like how something looks like, don't take that risk. Exactly, exactly. And this was something that we thought we talked about in the ricin episode where we can't believe that something so small can be so destructive. Like we always think that, oh, we as humans are, you know, like the ultimate species, whatever you want to say, but we can be completely unraveled at the protein level Mm -hmm. from this plant. It is, Mm -hmm. it's really humbling and really mind blowing at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point to stop. Well, I'm so excited. I'm so happy that we got to do this with you, Matt. It has been really fun. And as we always do, we like to close out the episode on an antidote of the week. Always need an antidote to the poison. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, do you want to kick us off for your antidote of the week? All right. So my antidote this week has nothing to do with plants because Mm -hmm. every once in a while, I like to branch out of my tiny little botany bubble. 
and jump into the paleo world. And the reason for the shout out is not only because it's an amazing finding, but it's also putting University of Illinois grad student Carrie Ed Williams on the map for doing some really cool work on pterosaur cervical vertebrae. Oh, love it. Thanks to her work, along with her colleagues, they figured out why these animals could grow so large, but still be able to fly. Mm -hmm. And it's because of something to do with their bone structure. And to be fair, I'm not an anatomy person. I don't fully understand it. But what she discovered by scanning the vertebrae of these giant pterosaurs, they found that there is an anatomical feature that keeps the bones super strong, but also very light. Wow. And like birds, they're kind of hollow, but they have this central, I guess, pin or um, I I don't really know, this central tube that runs through the center of the bone. And out from that tube radiates a bunch of bone-like spokes, so kind of like uh, a tire spoke. And that, again, keeps the air spaces pretty big Uh within the bone, making it very light, but makes it super, super strong because I guess the spokes push on that central column there, and that creates a ton of rigid structure. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's really interesting work. And it also talks about how they could use that to eat much larger prey as a result as well, because, you know, if your bones are small, it's harder to pick things up, I guess. And so it just really kind of blows the lid off of some really interesting pterosaur anatomy and again puts University of Illinois and grad student Carrie Ed Williams on the map for doing really, really amazing work in that department. And uh, I think she just got an article in the New York Times as a result. So that's also a big feather in her cap. So go Carrie Ed. Thanks for doing this amazing work. That is amazing. You just kind of blew my mind there, Matt. I would love if you would email us the link and then we can also put it on our put it on our page as well. I also just had to look up pterosaurs to remind myself what they looked like. And yeah, they're fucking badass. Yes. <laughs> Man, I want to get into dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. That's an awesome oh, antidote. Cool stuff. Okay. Megan, do you want to go or do you want me to go? You go. Okay. All right. My antidote this week is kind of a future antidote. I'm just excited. Although this whole year has been so unpredictable with COVID and everything being virtual, but I am excited nonetheless to celebrate my graduation that's coming Mm -hmm. up with my family and just enjoy it for what it is, even though it can't be in person. With it being virtual, I can have whoever I want with me in terms of family, so that makes it even more special. So I'm really excited for that. Congrats. Oh man, that's so exciting. Okay, my antidote is... I'm going to see Harini in person later today. And that's always a fun thing. And then I really didn't have like one that I thought about. But my antidote is mostly that I meeting Matt was such a pleasure being with us on this podcast today. We super appreciate Mm -hmm. it. Super appreciate your knowledge and your insight. It was such a pleasure. Like, really, what a treat. And so my antidote is like making new friends, meeting new people on the mm-hmm. podcast world. It's awesome. Really, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. So Matt, as our special guest today, we, yes, we do end on an antidote, but we also end on like a call sign. I don't know, a slogan or something, but we always say- Something like that. <laughs> don't risk it for the blank biscuit. And whatever the blank is has to do with the topic at hand. You can be as creative as you want or uncreative <laughs> but this is where we should we did not prep you for this part but i know you, yeah you're just gonna because we always say our phrase because we've been friends for so long now we always used to say this phrase to each other like don't risk it for the biscuit yeah. so right. being in line with the whole toxicology <laughs> thing we're like don't risk it for yeah. that poison biscuit so whatever that poison right. might be or whatever you want to say so that's how we ended yeah. the episode traditionally <laughs> So I guess I'm just going to go with don't risk it for the Abrin biscuit because yes. that just sounds <laughs> funny to me. I love it.
Also, it's good advice. Amazing. Perfect. Amazing. Okay, guys, that is another episode of That Shit is Poison. If you enjoyed this episode, please show us some love. Give us a rating and review. And if you're new here, join us every week by subscribing. And if you like this specific episode with Matt, you can follow him for his podcast, In Defense of Plants, and on Instagram at In Defense of Plants, as well as his book that has come out, In Defense of Plants, An Exploration into the Wonder of Plants, a book by Matt Candeus. This has been another episode, so we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Peace.